You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10, and then we will hear from the gospel. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, not even halfway in, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wonderful sermon, much quicker than the sermon I'm probably going to preach today. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Maybe we should preach shorter sermons. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are in the middle of a series. Well, first of all, thank you all for praying for me and my family. We're doing well. Jacqueline is okay. I've been sitting down a lot. And she's doing fine. Uh, my dad is doing better. He's still in the hospital. They still have to run some more tests. But thank you very much for the prayer team and everybody who's been reaching out. You know, it, it's been, it's been, it's been a, a rough beginning of the year for our family. But we really do feel upheld uh, by all of you. And just so you know, the humor is staying alive at our house. My son Theodore is two years old. Any parent have that moment where you realize your son or daughter is as sarcastic and messed up as you are? Right? Like at two, like I'm just starting to see it. And so he was, he had taken one of my books and I was like, Theodore. And you know, sometimes as a dad, dad, no, that's like you first say like, Theodore, give me my book back. And then when they don't listen, you get, you talk from your stomach and you're like, Theodore, give me that book back. And my man looked at me dead in my face and he's like, catch me. (laughs) I said, touche salesman, enjoy that book. He's, and usually he says, catch me while he's running away, but he stood about five feet away from me and was like, catch me. Put his hands in the pocket of his diaper and was just like, catch me, Dad. You're pathetic. You cannot move. So, yes, it's a, the humor is alive and well. I said, Wait, I can't believe he gets this from his mother. Like, that is... We're in the middle of a series called Proactivity, and we've been talking about our vision for the year is simplicity. And you've heard me say this a few times on the screen that simplicity is not things being easy to understand, but simplicity is when we get to the inner place where we feel like what's inside of us isn't competing against itself. There are times where we just, we've said it like this, I feel like I'm pulled in a thousand different directions. 
Simplicity is when your life is flowing together. And on some level, that will never happen in our lifetime outside, but it can definitely happen on the inside where you feel whole on the inside. And I've said this to the deacons recently. I've said this to the elders recently. But Jacqueline and I are coming into a full understanding. Like when the clock struck midnight and it became 2024 almost, we had this overwhelming sense that our actual vision for this church, after six and a half years, our actual vision, if somebody said to me, why would you, why would you say, besides meeting Jesus, of course, why would you say it's good for somebody to come to Salem? Our answer would be this. Because we believe here that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, is teaching us how to be fully integrated human beings. We're learning to be fully human. We're learning to be sober, re- real human beings who feel what we're supposed to feel when we're supposed to feel it, can name it, can know if it's good or know if it's bad, and know that Jesus is involved in whatever it is. Amen? We're learning to be human. Why? Because Jesus was human. And maybe you've heard me say this over the years, but sometimes when we make a mistake, like if we knock something off a table, we say, oh, look at me, you know, I made a mistake, I'm only human. But really, if we were human, we wouldn't make mistakes. We make mistakes because our humanity is broken, because we're not human enough. Jesus was fully human, which is why he lived a sinless life. Amen? So what we're trying to do is not become less human. We're trying to become fully human, made in the image of God, which is why when we dehumanize people, it feels like a violation and an abuse because we know that really what we should be doing is humanizing each other. So when we are racist or when we're crude or when we're condescending or when we're neglectful of each other, it's dehumanizing. We're ruining the humanity in each other. So the goal is to become fully integrated human beings like Jesus was. And we're going to talk about that today. How do we get there? Our vision is simplicity. Our mission is proactivity. We've been kind of at a stalemate over the last few years since BC, before COVID, right? We've been at a stalemate. And it's time to start being proactive. It's time to start stretching the spiritual joints, to start taking walks, to start getting out there. And I'm about to learn in a few short weeks that after you don't walk for a while and then you start to walk, it hurts worse than what you had before the surgery. Right now, my, body, my, my right leg especially is like, man, this has been nice. I haven't had to do anything. I'm going to take my first step and it's going to be like, nope, I'm broken. And you have to remind it, no, you're healed. It just takes time to learn to walk in that healing. It hurts to walk in a healing. It hurts to stretch things back out again. We get used to injury, and then we start to rely on it because we have an excuse not to do so much. That's why when Jesus is about to heal somebody, he always says, what would you like me to do for you? Because you do realize once I heal you, you now have responsibility on your life. I'm talking to somebody today. If anything, I'm talking to myself. The great... Dr. Chris Green said this, we are waiting on God to do for us what God is waiting on us to do for our neighbor. Lord, we're waiting on you to heal and deliver. Lord, we're waiting on you to bless us financially. Lord, we're waiting on you to bring healing into my life. Lord, I'm waiting on you to give me a breakthrough. And God is like, yeah, I'm doing those things, but I'm waiting on you to be that for your neighbor. There has to be an integration between what we're waiting on God for and what God is waiting on us for. 
Because God is not controlling, which means he doesn't micromanage. So there is healing in people's lives that he wants to come through you. And he won't micromanage and do it himself all the time. He's going to wait for you. That's terrifying to me because I'm slow sometimes. I'm slothful sometimes. I'm into myself sometimes, all the time. I'm not going to lie and say sometimes. A lot of the times. Sometimes even when I don't like myself, it makes me more self-centered than when I do. I'm saying stuff today, Salem. Haven't been in here for a while. Two weeks ago, we talked about contributing to the needs of the saints, tithing, being hospitable. Last week, we talked about genuine love and honor, not making codependent relationships on the one hand, not neglecting each other on the other hand, but recognizing that we're not codependent on each other, we are interdependent on each other. I need you for the rest of what I need, and you need me for the rest of what you need. And our lives matter. And I was specifically last week speaking to people who think that your life doesn't matter as much as it really does. You're the answer to somebody's prayer every single day of your life. And no matter what you did wrong yesterday, you are still the answer to that person's prayer today. Your sin doesn't disqualify. That's why the Bible says the gifts of God are given without repentance. His gifts are so good and he's so generous that he gives them to you anyway. So you can wake up tomorrow. You can wake up right now. You can wake up right now and realize when you walk out of here today, you are the Garden of Eden for the next person you meet. And you can step on the serpent's head and make sure he doesn't do what he does in that garden every day of your life. But we have to be proactive. So today, I want to talk about when Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. <clears throat> when we talk about, and excuse me, I still have a little bit of a cough. When we talk about the passion of the Christ, what are we talking about? Somebody shout it out. When we talk about the passion of the Christ, what are we talking about? His death. We're talking about Good Friday. Good Friday is the first holiday the church ever celebrated. Good Friday was also the celebration of Easter Sunday. Before Christmas, before Epiphany, before Pentecost, before it did any of those things, it marked Easter and Good Friday as the same celebratory event, and they called it, we're celebrating his passion. Now, here's the funny thing. When you look at the cross, you see what Jesus did, and yet they call it his passion. Why? This is very important. Because for Jesus, his passions and his actions are always and forever the same thing. The cross is what he did, and the cross is also how he felt. Because how he feels and what he does are forever the exact same thing. His thoughts about you are also his actions for you, and his actions for you are also exactly how he feels about you. There is no difference between what Jesus does and how he feels. Now look at the person next to you. There's a lot of difference between how that person feels and what they do. Paul says it like this. <clears throat> My past Romans 7 uh, Steve Raleigh calls Romans 7 Groundhog's Day. Just, I keep reliving this day over and over and over again. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And when I make it an, a point to do what is right, I do what's wrong. And when I think I'm going to do what's wrong, I accidentally do what's right. And he says this, my passions are at war within me. Because we are not integrated people. 
There's a difference between what I want and what I do. I want to be nice all the time to my family. <clears throat> I'm not going to finish the second half of that sentence. <clears throat> There's a difference between what I want. I want to put down that fourth slice of pizza. I want to eat. I'm just going to leave it at I want to eat and let everybody in the room do the math. There's a difference between what we want to do and what we end up doing because our passions are at war within us. So he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. So I want to talk about what zeal and fervency are for a second. Zeal is holy form. Everybody say holy form. <coughs> zeal is the right actions, the right methods, being in the right place. And he's saying, don't be slothful in your actions. Don't be slothful in your form. Don't be slothful in your function. Do the right thing when you're supposed to do it. But then he says, be fervent in spirit. And fervency is holy passion. Everybody say holy passion. You said it with such holy passion. <clears throat> Zeal is holy form. Fervency is holy passion. Jesus is the embodiment of holy form and holy passion. He does what he's supposed to do, and he does it with the full amount of passion to want to do it. Now, we can see this breakup of form and passion in social groups. Let's take a general, I don't want to offend anybody, let's take a general broad stroke and say, the Orthodox churches, the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, they have very healthy form and function. But sometimes it seems like there's not a lot of passion. The Charismatic Church has a lot of passion. People falling out, running around, flags twirling, speaking in tongues, calling out in the middle of the service, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of passion but sometimes we're not always living the right way. Sometimes our churches are really judgmental. Yes? See, because at Salem, I'm not talking about, we're not either of those churches. We're the combination of those churches. That's why we believe in convergence. We're not orthodox. We're not charismatic. We're whatever the word is when you put those two things together. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be an integrated whole, not of one particular tribe. I think our country has had enough of tribalism, yes? We're trying to put it all together here, and it's messy, and it's hard work, but it's working. There's a testimony in this room. We don't just have diversity in terms of where we're from, but we also have diversity in terms of where we all used to worship in our backgrounds. There's something amazing happening here, but it's tough work. It's difficult. But we'll also see it in terms of individual people. There are people, like Jonah, who have the right form and function but as Dr. Chris House said in, in uh, December, my students show up to class and all they do is drop their body off and then they leave. And there's a lot of people in the church. There's a lot of people in this church. There's a lot of people in every church. You all show up to church on Sunday. You show up to your job. You show up to your family and you had the right form, but the passion is not there. You dropped your body off at home. You dropped your body off at work. You dropped your body off at church. You were talking in the foyer 10 minutes into the worship. And that's for the people who got here on time. 
I'm going to say it today. And listen, I want you to know, I'm going to say some of these things today because they're good and right to say, but I also want you to know, I don't know how to say them. Because some of you got beat over the head with this stuff. And I appreciate that. I may or may not have been one of those people. But I don't want to not say the good thing because in the past it has been used wrong. But Jonah shows up to Nineveh. He does what God tells him to do, and he did not care. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, I'm out. Thank you. There's no passion. He did the right thing, but there's no passion behind it. For some of us, we have majored in doing the right thing. We have the zeal, but we don't have the fervency of spirit anymore. It's gone. It's not just gone here. It's gone everywhere else. And odds are, if it's gone here, it is gone everywhere else. We show up. We meander in. Takes us to the third song to get warmed up. And like, I have just like, this is something I asked myself this morning. Why is it that I spend more time getting ready to be seen by people before I leave than I do spend time here before service getting ready to be seen by God. There are many people in this room who spent more time in front of the mirror this morning getting ready to be seen by everybody else in the room and got here 20 minutes after the service started and didn't spend any time getting ready to be seen by the Lord. It's okay. God bless, well, I'm gonna, I don't want to give my conclusion yet. I want you to be uncomfortable for a moment, so I won't say the nice thing yet. But there's good news coming, I promise. Holy works, Jonah. Holy works, but no passion. So we see this in social groups. We see it in individual people. But listen, Salem, we also see it within our own self. I'll wake up on Monday, and I'll be all zeal with no passion. I'll wake up on Tuesday and be all passion and completely rude and sloppy about it. I'll wake up on Wednesday with both of them. I'll wake up on Thursday with none of them. I'm crazy town. So inside of us, there's a war between these two things. And what God wants to do is end the war by saying, you can be both. You can be in the right place and want to be there. You can go home to all the issues in your house and want to darken the doorway of that house, walk in and say, today's going to be the day that we step a little closer to healing. Amen? He wants you to wake up and go to that job that you hate going to and wake up finally and say, it's not about my boss. It's not about my coworkers. It's not about how much I get paid. It's not about the traffic I sat in. It's not about the fact that they never close when it snows. It is about the fact that I'm going to walk in and I'm going to be more of a human being today than I was last Friday when I left. I'm not going to let what I feel about my job determine the integrity that I hold as a Christian, spirit-filled person when I walk into my job. If Jesus can walk into Good Friday and call it his passion, I can walk into my cubicle and be happy to be there. Amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. We can do this. We can do this. I spent a lot of time in a cubicle. Can you imagine me in a cubicle environment? I was always peering over the top to the other person. I must have been so annoying. I could not sit... I can't be boxed in. It's not great. I'm like, hey, okay. Hello. All right. I was told to settle down multiple times. <laughs> For some of us, it's so easy to say, I'm going to start again. I'm going I'm to start getting there. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start being a proactive part of this body that God has somehow put his salvation plan for the world into. And then it's just so easy to say no. It's so easy for the next thing to just knock you off the plan you had. 
It's so easy to say, I'm going to start a Bible reading plan and get to January 4th and be like, I'm so far behind, I'll start next year. But then there's, there's Jonah, holy works but no passion. And then there's Peter, holy passion but no form, <clears throat> no integrity early on. An inflated view of himself. He had all the love and passion for Jesus, but there was no form in him. And he, even, if you, even if you're going to die, Jesus, I'll die with you. Even if all of these, even if Steve betrays you, I won't. And everyone else is like, geez, Luis, this guy. And Jesus is like, actually, you're going to deny me three times tonight. All passion, no form. All passion, no form is a life lived about getting other people right and never asking, am I right? Just assuming we are. The charismatic church is guilty of this. Charismatic people are guilty of this. On Tuesdays and Fridays, I'm guilty of this. So excited, so intent on being so excited about Jesus that I'm so concerned about how Steve is worshiping and about, I'm just going to pick on Steve a lot today, and about how everybody else in this church is doing. You know how hard it is as a pastor to remember to say, how am I doing? When you're, the more passionate you are for Christ, the easier it is to neglect how you're actually doing because you're so darn concerned about how everybody else is doing. It starts well, but it ends arrogant. I couldn't worship today because I, on my way in, I heard one of the leaders in the church curse, and I had a hard time worshiping. Well, it is a problem that a leader in the church cursed, but it's maybe a bigger problem that you couldn't worship because somebody sinned. Newsflash, it happens all around you every day, five billion times a day, right? So what does Peter do? Peter denies Jesus. Peter cuts somebody's ear off. And then Peter spends the majority of the book of Acts thinking that the Holy Spirit is not for anybody of Italian descent. And I am personally offended by this. Until Cornelius, after he was done making some really good chicken parmesan, probably, right? Right? The eating thing, again, it's a problem. This is why my sermons are so quick when I record them, and they're so long when I'm here. I couldn't figure out why. It's your fault. It's not mine. He was zealous, he was passionate, he was fervent, but he lacked the form. And he, when you lack the form, you force people. You stop leaning into cultivating and process and patience. The one gift of the charismatic church is that we believe in the Holy Spirit. The one flaw is that it is such an impatient group of people. Everything has to be done in the twinkling of an eye now. I can be delivered from 20 years of abuse now. No. No, you can start the healing process now. But patience is going to be needed. That's why patience is the first way that Paul describes love. Love is, if God did everything right now, we wouldn't need to be. But if love is, then patience is telling us that God isn't going to do everything right now. Make sense? What we want to see, and again, it's difficult to say, but what we want to see is we don't want to see people just saying, I'm depressed, 
And when one day, when God says it's time to not be, I won't be. And so I'm just going to cave in on myself. We don't want people to say, Pastor, it's just getting so hard. I'm so tired and just cave in. We don't want to tell you that you can just get up tomorrow and choose joy and have it, because that's not true. But we want to see you begin a proactive journey toward healing, toward getting back into healthy rhythms of giving, healthy rhythms of hospitality, healthy rhythms of honoring others and honoring yourself, healthy rhythms of zeal, and healthy rhythms of fervency. So where does the wholeness come from? How do we get it? How do we get unstuck? When we first meet Jonah, he's hiding from the presence of God. He's hiding from his calling. He doesn't want to step into it for reasons the Bible does not tell us. There are many of you in this room right now, I just scan the room and I see 20 of you, that you are called to things that your body is not allowing you to see. Your job is not just to exist in the church. Your job is to be a proactive part of what Jesus is doing in the earth. You're more than the moment you're in. You're more than the things that have happened to you. You're more than even the sin that you've committed. But it is work. I started getting discipled in 2007. Ten years under Pastor Mark Arstead. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So much preparation. And then you step into your calling, and right away you realize, I'm already on empty of this preparation, and I need continuing preparation to do what I've already started doing. Too many ministers just stand up in the pulpit like they finally got prepared and they're there. No, that gas tank runs out right away, and it does for you as well. At work, at home, with your calling that God's given you, your spiritual gifts, it runs out so fast. We need to be discipled. We need to be in healthy Christian relationships. We need to be feeding our soul healthy things. And like I said to the men, I said it this way to the men, you got to man up and do this. (coughs) I'll say to everybody else, we got to be humble and do this. But we have to spend more time in prayer and in our Bible and in conversation than we do on our darn phone. I said to the men yesterday, whatever you look at first in the morning will determine how you look at everything else. You open that phone before you say good morning to your spouse, you are not going to be your best self for the rest of that day. You open your phone before you open the Bible, and you're going to hear the Bible through what you read on your phone, even if it was for two seconds. The last thing you look at before you go to bed is going to determine how healthy your soul is while you're sleeping. You look at that phone, you read a headline, and then close your eyes and wonder why you have soul ache and you can't figure out where it's coming from. There's a reason why Goliath came out in the morning and the evening, right? Goliath now is our phone. Somebody please knock him out with a rock. I'm dead serious. We got to open that holy book again. We have to talk to each other again. We can't just talk to the people who affirm us. We got to talk to the people who are going to challenge us, yes? You might not be able to get yourself up, but neither could Lazarus. But when a good friend showed up at the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth, he was able to get up. Some of us just need those friends in our life to say, hey, you can get up today. We need to be that person, and we need that person, and it has to start yesterday. But here's what we know, and here's where the passion comes from. The worship team, you can, you can come on up. 
I want you to close your eyes and hear this. Very simple message. Some of us have good form, no passion. Some of us have a lot of passion and we can't get discipline, consistency together to save our life. Some of us have no passion for here, but we got a lot of passion for other places. How does this heal? It heals with knowing. Knowing this, that when God called Jonah, God was present to him. When Jonah hid, God was present to him. When Jonah sunk down into the ocean in the belly of the great fish, God was present to him. When Jonah came up out of the water and walked through Nineveh, all annoyed, God was present to him. And then when he was done doing what he was supposed to do, God sat him down and was present to him. Watch this. When God changed Peter's name, God was present to him. When God said, upon this rock I will build my church, God was present to him. When Peter said, you're wrong, Jesus, I won't deny you, God was present to him. With your eyes closed, listen to this verse. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. I do not know the man. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Even when Peter was denying him, God was present to him. In the belly of the fish, God was present. Hiding in the stern of the boat, God was present. Saying to people, I do not know Jesus, God was present. On Easter Sunday, when God forgave him, God was present. When Peter was racist in Acts, it was in a vision that God gave him. Here's how we can get up in the morning. Here's how we can get it together. God is present to you even when you don't have it together. And his healing, creative work is being spoken over your life even when you don't have it together. Malchus's ear got healed because God made sure that Peter didn't fail. The men on the boat that Jonah was hiding in began to worship the God of Israel when Jonah got thrown overboard. God was working his purpose even when Jonah was trying to run away from it. It's that love that we cannot get used to. It's that love that we always have to be surprised about that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. When you had nothing to offer him at all, he offered you all he had, which is his son. And he does it for you every day. And I'm telling you right now, for some of us, that we can feel this moving in our soul. And for other people, this is no longer exciting because there is an enemy and he has us calloused over. But it is the good news. It is not coercion. It is not yelling from the pulpit. It is simply saying this. God loves you on your best day. He loves you on your worst day. And he loves you on the days that were worse than that that you don't want to say out loud. And it's not just he loves you like it's a pity party. He looks at you and he says, you are as powerful as I am because my spirit resides in you. I can give you the restoration that works backwards and forwards. You can get up and face that broken marriage. You can get up and face that financial situation. You can get up and face the depression. You can get up and face the anxiety. 
You can get up and face the fact that your husband doesn't look at you the way he used to. You can get up and face the fact that somebody hasn't been faithful to you. You can get up and face the fact that maybe I failed parenting. Maybe I failed my children. Maybe they failed me. You can get up and face it. You can get up and face your blessings and have them not control you. You can get up and face the house God gave you and have it not become materialistic. You can get up, Salem, and face whatever it is because the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is residing in your body right now. And he's saying, everything I did, you can do right now, but you got to take that first step. You got to say, I'm going to, and you got to say, I need help all at the same time. I told Jacqueline I wasn't going to do this anymore, but I'm making up a word. <laughs> you ready for the word, Jacqueline? I made it up. Jesus' is <laughs> passion impassionates us. I feel like impassionates might be a word. Merriam-Webster doesn't think so, but I think I know better than her. His passion impassions us. His passion breathes passion into our lungs. It's not actions that get you right. It's not actions first. It is knowing. It is knowing. It's knowing that he is as for you today as he ever will be. And he will never be more for you, and he will never be less for you, because he is all for you. <laughs> and you're not limited until you heal. You're not limited until you heal. You are powerful once you know that he's in your ailment as much as he will be in your healing. And you will get it wrong, and you will fall down, and his will can be made done even when we fall, if we know. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces something in you. Knowing. Who knows it this morning? Who knows it this morning? Let's stand to our feet and get ready to come to the table of the Lord this morning. Before Jacqueline comes up and prays over the table, I just want to say, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to take the generality of what was just said. Break it into a lot of pieces like you did the bread in the feeding of the 5,000 and distribute it to each person so that they would know that they can have passion and form. They can be busy, they can be tired, they can be overwhelmed, and they can still matter in the kingdom of God and go to bed fulfilled, albeit tired. Let us know that we can go far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think because of the power working in us, your power, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.